Hello and welcome to Page Parley. This is the show where we speak to the authors or experts on the work we read in scintillating stories. Today we're speaking to Dr. Nancy Glass. I grew up on the Texas Gulf Coast in an industrial city, and I've spent most of my adult life in Houston, which is a huge metropolitan area, the fourth largest city in the United States. And that's where I have uh, practiced medicine. I began my practice in pediatric critical care, and then I moved into pediatric anesthesia and pain medicine. And for the last 10 years of my career, I added pediatric hospice medicine to my list of activities. How long have you been writing? really began until 2014. A couple of years after I had begun my hospice practice, I just was so touched by the situations that I saw and the families that I met. And I knew I wanted to write those stories. And so I decided to enroll in a Master of Liberal Studies program at a local university where I took a number of writing courses and began writing creative nonfiction. And then I just felt like I still needed to work on the craft of writing even more after that. So during the pandemic, I did a Master of Fine Arts in Writing in a remote program, which was a lot of fun. And and that's where I continue to work on my craft. What drew you to pediatric hospice care? And what did you find rewarding about it? I was drawn to the care of families who were experiencing loss from early part of my career. When I practiced critical care medicine, I lost a number of patients, of course. And I learned from my mentors at that time how to sit with sorrow, how to listen to families, how to minister to them with presence rather than with platitudes. And so I had wonderful training in that area. And then I I sort of fell into pediatric hospice care in the oddest of ways. Both of my parents died at the end of long lives in hospice care. And I received a flyer in the mail from the hospice. And I flipped through it and saw that a cousin of mine by marriage was the chief executive of that hospice, which I didn't know. And after a particularly difficult day in the operating room, I called him and said, could I do something over there with you? I'm really frustrated in my job. And he said, you couldn't have called at a better time. My pediatric doctor just resigned. So to make a long story short, I took the exams and qualified in that specialty and was able to practice pediatric hospice medicine for over 10 years. It really brought me back to the fundamental tenets of medicine, which is caring for people. As a doctor, you would be intimately aware of death and the role it plays in our lives, working with families who were that close to such a difficult part of existence. Was that something that you felt was an important job to be doing? I thought it was a very important job to do. I certainly couldn't change the trajectory of those children's lives, but I felt like I had an opportunity to try to help people get through that in a way that would allow them to carry on their lives. The work that I did and my team, my nurses and social workers and chaplains, we worked together as a team to try to help meet people where they were and to help them prepare to keep living after their child died. I like to think that 
helped people learn how to communicate in, in families, that we helped them be more open to talking about death with the child who was going to die. And I believe that that those elements of our practice were incredibly important for the health of those families going forward. You mentioned in the story that it was important to you that the identity and humanity of this child was recognized. I feel like it's important for absolutely every case. And so many of my children were children of poor families or immigrant families, profoundly disabled children who might have even been in foster care. I felt that these children deserve to have their lives recognized and their humanity recognized and their place in their families recognized. And the families of disabled children suffer so much. They suffer a lot of silence and discrimination. It was important to me to celebrate those children's lives and to recognize that they were treasured and loved by their families. They needed to see that, to feel that people cared about them. One of the things that you speak about is narrative medicine. Would you tell us a little bit about narrative medicine? A discipline that is recognized internationally now that's really at the intersection of medical practice, humanities, and the arts. And it also attempts to bring some measure of social justice into medicine. And I would give the example that we see patients in clinic, we accept what they tell us, but we don't always listen for the brief. We don't always listen to what's not said. And that's where the discipline of narrative medicine teaches you to be a close reader and a close observer and to ask those questions that might get at a more complete understanding of the patient's situation. I think of the example of a person who comes to clinic and hasn't been taking their medicine, and they may admit that they haven't taken it, but they may feel ashamed to tell you that they don't have the money to buy the medicine, or that they use the money to feed their dog, who is the only living thing in their lives because they're otherwise alone. When we explore for the underlying meaning in people's lives, we not only can improve their care, but we also build a relationship that is richer with that person. That sounds like a fantastic approach and a, a really important progression in in medicine as a whole. I see that so much in our young medical students now. They are hungry for that. They don't want to just be talking about tests and diagnosis. They're hungry for, for keeping the humanity in medicine. I find that very optimistic and encouraging. Do you think it's important that stories like The Longest Minute are shared for both the author and the reader? I think they are. I think it has given me an opportunity to reflect on my practice. Even as I was writing these, I was thinking about what could I do better next time? What did I miss? I wonder how I could have handled this better. But I think it. I always saw my role in hospice as, as having a ringside seat to the human condition. And 
I had the privilege of going into people's homes at the most vulnerable times of their lives. And I felt like I had an opportunity to share these stories with a wider audience so other people would have that privilege to understand what other people in our community are going through. This is a very compassionate story. And it's a story about trying to understand a a person with an entirely different life to yourself. And and I imagine that as a medical practitioner, you were meeting all sorts of different people in different situations that you wouldn't have otherwise experienced. Do you think that in some small way, by reading stories about difficult subject matters like this, it can help people at least to think towards trying to be more compassionate in their own lives? I hope so. I really hope so. That's one of my goals, of course. I took care of homeless children, children in foster care, children who had very traumatic voyages coming into the United States as immigrants, people who had been displaced by wars, by gang violence, experiences that it's just hard to imagine. And those children were incredibly resilient, but also had these terrible medical illnesses that were bringing their lives to a close. And so my hope is that by shining the light on these families that I had the privilege to care for, I will be able to maybe make people think about how we're far more alike than we are different, that we all have challenges, that we all have issues in our lives, but that we're far closer to being alike than we are to being different. I I think that sounds very important. Would you mind telling us a bit about what your writing process is like? When I first began writing, I felt like I was an outside uh, narrator just telling a story of another family. And I would just write down what happened and a little bit about what I thought about it, but not very much. And then I realized that it was important for me to be in the story because readers would not care unless they could see it through my eyes and care about me as a narrator. Whether they like me or not, it doesn't matter, but just that they could walk alongside me. So I had to be in the story. The way I wrote them began to change a little bit. I start out with what I call a vomit draft. I just put everything in there. And then I try to shape the essay after all of that is in there and try to figure out what it is that I'm really trying to say. What am I trying to accomplish? I'm trying to show what changed for a family and what changed for me as we went through this process together. And I'm trying to do a better job now at bringing the reader into that scene by really focusing on, in as few words as possible, the sensory details so they can feel like what it was like for me to be discussing a difficult topic with a family or trying to convince a family to do something that I thought would help their child. Or if I was feeling a sense of frustration or conflict with a family, how to how that felt to me as I was standing there. An important part of my writing process is sharing my writing with a small group of, of close writer friends to get their response to it, to see where something didn't land right or where they felt like they needed more information or 
things that they thought were superfluous to the story. And I don't always take their advice, but it's incredibly important for me to know when I am veering into medical language too much. Having these non-medical readers is just incredibly important part of my process. How did you find your co-writing group? Quite by chance. We took an online course together and we loved the course and we loved the instructor. And then we met for coffee and then we kept meeting for coffee. And now we've really gotten close and we are very different kind of writers. A couple of them are poets, very different in age and outlook and everything else, but they are great readers and they give compassionate advice. I really recommend to other writers that they find their people. I really can see the honing that has gone into this story. I felt that you spent exactly the right amount of time on each area. There was a rhythm to it. The, the, the sense of the the world that this was happening in was really well conveyed. So it, it really goes to show that really looking at the craft of writing can produce fantastic work. Thank you. I think the other part of writing personal essay and memoir is really to do a lot of reading in that genre as well. I always pick up things from other writers, and I consider that part of my writing work is to be reading contemporary essayists and trying to learn from them. What do you think are some of the ingredients to a good story? I think that the most important one, of course, is that there needs to be an arc of a story. It has to have a beginning, a middle, and a and 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 in my hospice story, I meet a family, their child gets sicker and dies. But I think the other parts that are critical can't just be a snapshot of the events that happen, but it also needs to include some change on the part of the patient or the family and or me as a participant in the story. We have to see some change, some learnings, some alteration in the individuals involved. The other crucial part is trying to get into those sensory details so that you can bring the reader into the story. I think you want them to feel the environment that you are in. That leads me on to, do you have advice for aspiring writers? Finding a group of people to share with is critically important. Most of us have to learn to be less defensive about feedback. I think it's important to learn to see feedback as a gift. You can't see how this essay lands on someone else unless you ask them, unless they share that with you. I think it's important to create that community of writers. One of the things that we do in our group is we share with each other when we see something about a call for papers or we see something about a call for poetry or a contest for this or an opportunity for that, to share those opportunities, to let others be in on them. They may win something that you don't, but that's okay. It's good to to give other people the opportunity to be successful as well. One of my friends won a a manuscript contest this year. That was terrific. And I think that you're not going to win everything, right? I just think that sharing those opportunities and uh, celebrating the wins of others is really an important way to build community. That sounds vitally important uh, for creative practice. Thank you so much for coming to speak to us today. If people would like to hear more from you, is there somewhere they can go to read more of your stories? 
Well, they can they can certainly Google me. I have published in Entema, which is the Journal of Narrative Medicine, another piece in Pulse, the Voices from the Heart of Medicine. I've published in Right Launch, and I have a couple additional pieces coming out this year. But if if you Google uh, my name, you will be able to find those. Thank you so much, Nancy. It has been wonderful to speak to you about your writing, about your practice. Thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thank you, Rosie. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to stay up to date with the goings-on here at Yorick Radio, then you can follow us on social media, sign up to our newsletter, check out our website, and subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production.